Hi, this is Des, and you're listening to Delving with Des podcast. Hi, this is Delving with Des, and this week on Delving with Des, we have a really lovely lady, a lady by the name of Faye Owen. And Faye has lots of claims to fame, I'm sure, and we'll probably find out as we go through this interview. But one of the really amazing things is that Faye has produced a book of poems. Uh, and I've got, the book is huge. And so she's got this book that she just released a few weeks ago, and it's, it's got poems that are absolutely um, spiritual poems, I should put it that way, because they are spiritual poems. And so um, it's amazing that she's been able to pull all these things together. And we'll ask her how long she's been writing poetry, but it's probably all her life. And she can t- if she wants to tell you what age she is, she can she'd be right <laughs> to do it. So welcome, Faye. It is. Uh, so, Faye, tell me, uh, you obviously didn't grow up in Port Macquarie uh, uh, or, or Lauriton, where you now live. So where did you grow up? I actually grew up in Penrith, which in those days was a little country town. And oh, when you went down the street, you knew everybody. Wow, and, and so changed now, isn't it? Oh, it's yes. horrible. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it that way. There's lots of people live there and enjoy it, but, but I know what you're saying, right? Compared to a small town, yes, to yes. the way the metropolis it is now, with that's a new right. airport coming out that way very soon, uh, that's amazing. So tell me about your life growing up in Penrith. Well, um, I had two older sisters. Right. My father was a fitter machinist. My mother didn't work, of course, in those days. Almost yeah. nobody did. Yeah. Um, my, one of my sisters was ten years older than me, and the other one was three and a half years older than me. Ah, okay. They both learnt the piano growing up, and I learnt the violin. But I started playing when I was eleven, and I started writing poetry about the same time. So. Oh, right. Well, you've been that a few years then. <laughs> yes, except my oldest sister tells me that when I was about five, I used to talk in rhyme. So maybe it was just in me. I don't know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I wonder what brought that on. It's just you had poetry in your head as a as a little girl. Yeah, um, I, I think what fostered it was that my middle sister and I used to share a bedroom uh-huh. and at night after lights out we would quote poetry at each other and make up stories to tell each other. That's that's so good as a kid and, you know, some of the... I mean, I can remember those sort of foreign memories too, like my elder sister who's just passed away last year. Whenever we were really young, we used to not share a bedroom, but we used to. You know, I'd go into her bedroom, but she came into my bedroom, and we'd talk about what was happening in our world. And so I sort of get that. That's that's really really cool. So, um, so you started writing poetry, and and I get I understand you just made up poetry as you went along, I guess. Rather well, I don't suppose I wrote very many in those days, and and they. I wouldn't show them to anybody these days. <laughs> they, they weren't worth reading. <laughs> Excuse me. No, that's but okay. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. So what happened then? So you you grew up in that environment. You had a good home home life? Yes, I, I had a very loving loving parents. Yeah. Um, and as I went through high school, English was my favourite subject. So yes, yes. It's, it's always been that love of literature, I think, that's been with me. I was there with you all your life, really. Yes. That's amazing. It has. And my middle sister, who was the one who shared the poems with me, ended up as a um, an English mistress. So oh, <laughs> we, really? were, we were very similar in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, obviously, that, uh, you grew up with your family at home. What happened next in your life? What was the next major milestone in your life? Well, after the leaving certificate, um, I worked as a librarian for seven years. Ah, okay. 
Um, Still to write books, which is amazing. Yes. Um, it wasn't my first choice. I really wanted to be um, a primary school teacher, uh-huh. but my mother wasn't well at the time and uh. didn't want me to go away, so I became a librarian, which... Um, was, it was fine, but it wasn't my first choice. Oh, wow. Um, you didn't think of going back later on? and Well, I did, did but by that stage I was going out fairly, fairly regularly with my future husband. And ah. I, sort of, <laughs> I thought, well, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yes, those sort of things <clears throat> tend to put a, um, a slant on where you think your life they is do going, rather. doesn't it? <laughs> yes, they do rather. So how did you meet your husband? What was your husband's name? Lawton. Lawton? L-A-W-T-O-N. Oh, wow. That's an interesting name. His parents were Welsh, but that's an English uh, name, apparently. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. So how did you meet Lawton? Well, we both would, were attending an evening college drama group. Ah. And that was just after I'd left school. All and right. he'd already been teaching for three years. Oh, right. Oh, so he was a teacher. Yes. Ah, right, Primary okay. school teacher. So you had many things in common then. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. We, we used to stand in the wings when we went on stage during rehearsal. And talk about the Goon Show the previous night. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't know what the Goon Show was. But, well, <laughs> but that's how we got to know each other. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. So at some point you started <clears throat> a relationship and that blossomed. Well, he started offering to drive me to drama group. And oh, <laughs> right, well, that was helpful. On, it went on from there. So, so he lived in Penrith? Yes, on the other, other side of Penrith. On the other side of Penrith, okay. Uh, but in those days it was probably pretty small, so... Uh, it wouldn't have been so uh, so hard to get from one point to the oh, other. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And he owned an MGTC. Pardon? He owned an MGTC. He owned an MG. There we uh, go. He taught me to drive on that. Oh, wow. <laughs> no wonder you fell in love with this guy. <laughs> he had a fancy car. <laughs> so tell me what happened next. Did you end up getting married? And Yes, I was. we were married in December 61. Ah, right. We went out for four years before that. Ah, right. Um, he was waiting for me to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> 61 is a long time ago. That's not long after I was born. Uh, so that's uh, that's amazing. So, so uh, you know, while I was running around as a little boy in Ireland, you were getting yourself married. <laughs> <laughs> and then I worked for another five, well, another... Um, I worked for seven years altogether as a librarian. Yeah. Um, I worked for two years after I was married. And then I sort of stopped work to have children. Yeah. And when the youngest child was in first class, I went back to work as a teacher's aide yeah, in yeah. schools so that we could have the same holidays and go oh, away cool. on the caravan. So how many children did you have? Only all? two. Only two. That's probably enough. That's it wasn't enough. Yeah, a boy no. and a girl. A boy and a girl was perfect. <laughs> you don't need to have any more. That's really cool. Because um, I have three boys. Um, <coughs> and so, yeah. So I had well, two born in Ireland and one born in Australia. So Well, yeah. my husband was one of two boys and I was one of three girls. So we, uh, There you we, go. We, it we, blended together we well. blended together. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So clearly, um, as we round up this first part of the show, you, your poetry is clearly based on faith. Uh, Not always. Mo- would you say that most of it is based on faith? Mm, well, I suppose more than 50%, but yeah. um, this book, which I've just had published, is Poems of Faith. Yeah. But I also write outback poetry, poems about war, children's nonsense verse... Oh, I wow. wrote short stories and children's stories and oh, sorry, I didn't even I didn't <laughs> even know that. That's amazing. So you've been you've been just a prolific poetry writer. 
well, yes, and so and stories. So, how yeah. much time would you spend, on average, a week writing poetry? Oh, not much. Um, I, I honestly believe it's God's gift. It's not. It's not me being clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it comes so quickly. Yeah. And some mornings I might wake up early and write three poems in a row, and right. the average time for writing a poem would be maybe forty minutes. But sometimes it's six minutes or. Occasionally an hour and a half. Wow. wow. Whenever you're writing one that's an hour and a half, is that because it's so much longer? Or is no, it just because it's a bit trickier for some reason. Hard to, to get it to rhyme. Oh, they don't all rhyme. Oh, they don't all rhyme. No, oh, I write three verses and rhyming verse. Or I might be out at the clothesline yeah. and a bird will fly over or the wind will blow the trees around and I drop the clothes and, well, not literally, but yeah. <laughs> put the clothes down and come inside. Whip off a poem and go back out and finish hanging up the washing. Wow, wow, what an amazing talent. So, so we're going to take a short break yes. and then we're going to come back and talk some more uh, uh, to Faye about her life and what she's done and so forth. So we will be back shortly. You're listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Delving with Des and we have Faye Owen with us today and it's an amazing lady who's got an amazing talent for writing poetry and music. And so just before the break, we were talking to Faye about the fact that she had got married, she had a boy and a girl and was, uh, had gone back to work uh, after raising her kids or having her kids. And so where were you living at that point? We were living at Lapstone, which is at the bottom of the Blue Mountains, just above the, the Nepean River. Oh, right, yeah. That's a, that's a lovely part of the world, the Nepean River. It's just, you know, I used to love drive. I used to live in Campbelltown, and I used to drive through there to, what do you call that little, St Albans and... Yes. Um, what do you call that, where the ferry is? Windsor. Was it, sorry? Windsor. Windsor, no, it's not beyond Windsor. Anyway, it doesn't Cur- matter. Carajong. Uh Yes, it's near Carajong, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's a great part of the world. So what made you leave that part of the world? Well, um, I was painting by the time we um, actually moved. I'd been painting for a few years and I was part of a two-person art exhibition um, out at, oh, I forget the name of the place now, it's just not far from here. Yeah. Um, and we brought the paintings up in the caravan Oh. Helped set up the exhibition and then we had to leave them there for three weeks uh-huh. and it was school holidays so we said, right, we'll go off and enjoy the holidays. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we drove around Port Macquarie and uh, fell in love with the area. Yeah. Looked at a house at Bonnie Hills, fell in love with it, made an offer, <laughs> bought it and had to go home and sell our other house. Uh. <laughs> it was just so gorgeous. Yeah, it was I on mean, Bonnie Hills is gorgeous. I have a good friend who lives at Bonnie Hills and... And it's just a lovely part of the world with the beach and, yeah, uh, well, and the whole environment right there is just so beautiful. We were on two and a half acres. Oh, really? And it was at the end of a cul-de-sac, so it was lovely and quiet oh, and peaceful. Nice. And nice. kangaroos on the lawn. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, what great memories to have, those sort of things. So were you still writing poetry during that time? or? Oh, yes. It, it's a, f- a funny thing. It's not a regular thing at all. Oh. I don't sit down to write poetry. So it's spasmodic, just it's when it comes, it comes. Mm, there was one stage where I hadn't written poetry for about three months and we went down to Kalala Beach for a weekend and I sat on the beach and wrote 18 poems in, in one day. Sort of. Wow, wow. <laughs> it's, so it's, it needs you, inspiration. Do you sense that you're going to be inspired or is you lift your pencil and go, what will I write? How does that work? 
for you? Um, it's usually just something I look at or see or hear, and I, the first line sort of, of, a, of the description of it comes into my head virtually like a poem. Right. And I think, right, grab a pen, and it just flows from So there. do you get that first line first, or the heading first, or the name oh, no, of the poem no. first? The heading, heading's always the last thing. Oh, the heading's the last thing. Okay, so you, well, this is good. People are learning stuff. I'm learning stuff. This is great. So, so you get that first line. Yes. Based on something you see. Yeah. And then how does it flow from there? Like I think of... The first thing that comes into my head is, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or veil and hill. You know, that poem. Oh, I know that poem. Yeah, yes. of course you would. Uh, so, whenever that person wrote that poem, would they just have had, they'd obviously have a view of something, and that first line would have come into their mind? I think we're all different in the way we oh, write. Oh, okay. Um, I've heard of some poets who actually take months to polish their poem. Oh, okay. Um, I, I dash mine off and very rarely touch it again. So. <laughs> Is that because you're not happy with it or because you are happy with it? Well, I must admit, when I was putting the book together, there were a few things I thought, oh, that word could be better or that line could be better. Yeah. But I didn't have to change you know, half a poem or anything. Uh, no, no, and it's probably it's more authentic if you don't go back and change it, perhaps. I, I don't know if that's true. I'm just throw, throwing it out there. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's just such an individual gift, and yeah. uh, I just believe that God just pours the words into my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about that. I mean, people talk about um, how they hear from God and and the, a voice that they hear from God, and I guess different people have different views of how that looks and how that happens. So, tell me how you think. God talks to you in your world? Uh, I just think he's endowed me with that gift and, and the words just flow. I don't hear the words from him oh, right, as such. Okay, okay. Although there was one occasion in my life when he did speak to me. Oh, okay. that's a bit, Do you want to tell us a bit now? No, I'm sorry. That's a no. very precious no, no, memory. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, that's all good. That's no but, problem. Um, so, um, so you just, just you feel inspired by something you see. And that's I suppose inspired is the word. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I just yeah. feel. So, yes. what are the extremes that you've written about? Sort of um, the craziest thing you've talked about, or the strangest thing you've, you've written about? Well, I wrote a poem about a kookaburra and a man in a pub. And a what? <laughs> a man in a pub. A man in a pub. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> oh, that was as, a as you would do, I guess. <laughs> that was a, a, a humorous one. It actually won a first prize in a competition. Oh, yeah. oh that's really um, cool. But I wrote it for the competition, actually, which is something you know. Wow, can do that's, a, that's amazing. So all this time you've <laughs> had poems. Have you published many of the poems, or have I haven't, as a person, yeah. as an individual, published them. But I've had oh, I don't know, maybe fifty poems and short stories and things yeah. published in compendiums from the best work from competitions. Oh, okay. And I've won two or three first prizes and second prizes and things for, for both my so short. So were they good? First prizes? Or were well, some of them were and some of them weren't. Sometimes <laughs> you just get a, a copy of the book. <laughs> um, one particular one was $300, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. Because I know I have friends of mine who are um, artists mm. and do paintings and so forth. And, you know, by the time the studio takes their cut from, you know, amazing painting, the artist actually only just covers their costs on many occasions. So that is, is poetry the same sort of thing? Nobody ever makes money from poetry, I don't think. No. Um, 
I had my own art gallery for three and a half years when we lived at Bonnie Hills on the acreage. So where, where, did you, where was your art gallery? It was part of the house. It was a huge L-shaped garage and storeroom area that I turned into a gallery with a studio um, right next door. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. The house had belonged to a... I think he was a concreter and he'd have, had his big truck stored in there. So ah. It worked out very well as a so, studio. Um, but from that... Three and a half years and um, open most days except Sunday. Um, I think every single year, tax year, I'm at a loss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after about three and a half years, I thought, well, it's restricting my life a lot. Yes, well, it would. Six days a week, having to open it, that, that's, that, that's hard when you've got a family and, and all those things coming on in your world. So let's go back a little bit and talk briefly about how... Clearly a lady of faith. And so tell me how that experience happened. How did that, that journey unfold? Well, I think I probably started going to Sunday school when I was two or three. Okay. Um, Mum and Dad were believers, yeah. but they, were, um, you know, they weren't all that strong. They, they, Mum believed that your faith was something you kept to yourself, ah, which people ah. did in those days, I think. And... Um, they sent us to Sunday school and they attended church reasonably often. Yeah, yeah. But um, all through my life, I've, I've believed. Right. Um, it took me until I was about in my 40s to be born again. Oh, okay. Because so you believed there was a God? Oh, I believed in God. I went to church. I, I, was, I was probably what I call religious. Okay. Which... I would not call myself now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't I want to be called either. religious. Um... I really I believe in God now, yeah. in a way that is different from then. Because so that experience of being born again is a is an interesting term, and and as a Christian, I know what it means. But what does it mean for you to say that you're born again? Well, I believed in God. I believed in the Bible, and I believed in the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Yeah. But I did not know about the grace of God. Ah. And wow, I don't know how well I, I don't know how I missed it in all those years of going to church, yeah. whether it wasn't that it wasn't really expressed or whether I yeah. just somehow missed it. I don't don't think I heard it very much. Yeah. Um, then my husband and I were actually having problems in our marriage. Oh. And we were on the verge of splitting up. Oh. And the Lord, through a great tapestry of bringing somebody else into my life, who brought his wife along and they had dinner with us and they talked about their faith and we were literally on the verge of splitting up and they went home and after they'd gone I said to my husband, let's go to their church tomorrow. And he said yes. We went and the pastor who was preaching, it was actually a charismatic Anglican, Pentecostal Anglican, which is a bit at Malcolm Hills. Um, and, Hills. Mm, and I'd never been to a charismatic to a Pentecostal church before and wow. people, people were putting their arms in the air and I'm thinking, this is a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the service, um, our friend turned around to us and said, do you want prayer for anything? Because the pastor had said, does anyone yeah. need prayer? And we said yes and told him. And he got tears in his eyes and said, oh, not you two. He called the pastor over. And this pastor was an elderly man who was in, within a fortnight of retiring. Oh. He took one look at us and said, no, the Lord doesn't want you two to separate. Prayed for us, which felt nice, but nothing else. Yeah. I woke up next morning with a completely different attitude to my husband. 
Wow. All the, all the upset, the angst had gone. Wow, isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I mean, that's, that's a miracle. That is a miracle. You can, you can change, you can pray for lots of things and occasionally God will you know, heal somebody or whatever that looks like. But to have somebody like pray for you that your mind will change, that is something significant. Mm. So. And I'd been feeling unhappy, growing more and more unhappy for about 11 years. Wow, wow. We'd had counselling, we'd talked to our local minister. Wow. Uh, but this was literally a miracle. Wow. And I just felt so light the next morning I could have floated. So how did your husband feel? Oh, well, he was delighted. He didn't want to separate in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very happy about that. Ah, uh, cool. Um, it took him a little longer, I think, to be born again. Okay. Because he'd been a churchgoer all his life too, right, but right. hadn't had that extra experience yes. of, of just knowing God in that special way. Yeah, no, no. Having, having God inside of you. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. That's exactly right. We're going to take another short break, and then when we come back, I'm going to ask Faye if she would be happy to read uh, one or two of her poems uh, for our benefit. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Delving with Des, and we have Faye Owen with us. And, you know, Faye is about to read us one of her poems, and it's called 200 Billion Trillion. I think I got that right, 200 billion trillion. And you may work, try and work out what that actually is referring to. I got it first time, which is amazing. But I'm going to get Faye now to read this poem. Faye, over to you. Thank you, Des. 200 billion trillion. 200 billion trillion is the number of stars they say they believe to be in our universe, in galaxies like Milky Way. 200 billion trillion. I cannot picture at all a number so vast and outrageous. My mind is far too small. The number of stars I can see at night, which seems a vast number to me, is only about 9,000, they say. A glorious sight to see, as they twinkle and light the velvet sky with enchantment for eye to behold. And I couldn't begin to count them all, for to me they are numbers untold. But 200 billion trillion, how could a mind as mine begin to understand God's lavish casting of stars? Too amazing to take it all in. That's so, that's so good. Well done. That's really, really cool. So we're going to take a, a, just a break, not with the show, but we're just going to give Faye the opportunity to find another poem that she's going to uh, read for us. Uh, but isn't that, wasn't that amazing? It's so simple. And yes, it's, but it's a, an interesting um, message about the size of our universe. It's huge. So, Faye, what's the name of the next poem? The next poem is called Creation Week. Creation Week. Right. Here we go. We should have a, a trumpet blowing or <laughs> a fanfare or something. So, here we go. Creation Week. Creation Week. Lord, how much fun you must have had, master artist that you are in sculpting each amazing creature, lighting every blazing star. We know that we are bound by time and you are not. So did you slow the precious seconds that it took to paint the flowers in rainbows so you could enjoy creation more? And when you fashioned mighty whale and carved the awesome dinosaur, tacked on the elephant's small tail and smiled as otters frolic round, stretched the neck of tall giraffe, built the tortoise his strong shell, 
Dear Lord, did I hear you laugh? You gave the worm his earthy home, shaped the soaring eagle's wings, painted clouds upon the sky, composed the song each sweet bird sings, daubed beetles' iridescent shells, tracked the reindeer through the snow, hid the leopard in the leaves, set the height each tree should grow. Then, Lord, and why we'll never know, made fallible man who chose to go his own way, being blind to see your glorious creativity. All nature worships you, creator God. Give us the eyes to see what you have done, to walk the way of truth that Jesus trod, creation's glory shining through the sun. Wow. Wow. And I'm sure you all, like me, are listening to that and saying, wow, that is so, so lovely. Uh, I just love the way you put together that, um, you know, defining all the uniqueness of all the animals and things. And, and I, you know, I've never thought about creation in that way where you, you know, you think back and say, you know, God having fun designing and creating all these amazing different animals, uh, just a lot of them so alike but yet so different in personalities and, and all those things I mean it's just it's amazing and you look at humans and, and you look at you know we're we basically the same uh, in, in so many ways in terms of DNA and so forth but, but yet we're so different you know we look different we have different personalities and, and God knew all that when he uh, created us and yes. so it's, it's a, that's amazing that's good. That's really, really cool. So, um, you said <coughs> before, Faye, that you get inspired by things you see around you. And it could be, you know, you're sitting out in your back garden and you see a bird fly past and, and, and all of a sudden you feel a bit of inspiration. And you, I'll get you to repeat what you told me earlier about your clothesline. Uh, you were saying that you would go outside and you'd be putting your clothes on the line and... Well, quite often... When I'm hanging the clothes on the line, a bird will fly past or just behind us we have a pair of Brahmani kites because oh, I'm, right. I'm at the base of North Brother and um, in the trees behind us there is a nesting yes. a pair of Brahmani kites and one or both of those will fly over and I gaze up. That's my daily blessing <laughs> to see the yeah, Brahmani kites yeah. and um, I'll see that or I'll see the wind blowing the trees around and a few, a few words will come into my head which right. sounds like the beginning of a poem. And I put the washing down and trot inside, grab my pen and paper and or go to the computer and start writing. Ah, right. And, and when you do that, you get a few words uh, like opening lines, for example. And then how does the inspiration come after that? How does it flow for you? I just allow myself to, to see, to think and to feel. Right. Feeling's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, I think you have to let your heart see not yes. just your eyes. Ah, okay. Explain that in a bit more detail for me. What does that mean? I mean, as somebody who's not artistic, you know, I, I, I just cannot draw or paint or anything like that. I don't have that skill or that gift. But, but So I don't understand what that means in terms of opening your heart to what you're writing. Right. Um, it's a matter of, of feeling the beauty around you. Right. Rather than just saying, oh, that's beautiful, and walking away. Uh, okay. Stop and take it in. Yeah, let yeah, it, let yeah. it seep into you, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 
for me, the words just follow. <laughs> yes. So do you go do you go down to the beach very often? Does that inspire you as well? Um, I don't because I'm <laughs> sensitive to the sun, so unfortunately I don't go down ah, to the beach right, very often. Okay. But the beach does inspire me. Yeah. I have another poem, if you'd like to hear it, called uh, Seashore. Yeah, sure. Or Seascape, I'm sorry. Seascape. Right, Seascape. let's go for it. Yeah. I just... Uh, she's quickly leafing through her book for the fine word is... Uh, that's, it's really, really good. Just find it. Hey, that was really quick. You know everything that's in that book. This book is amazing. I don't know how many pages. Are 152. There. 152 pages. And 184 some, poems. How many? 184 poems. 184 poems. I actually have five or 600 all up. Wow. Five or 600 poems. Wow. What a, what a wealth of, <laughs> of talent. That's crazy. Okay, so we're going to hear this poem called Seascape. Now, this one's a very quiet one, and I think it's one of my favourites. Okay. But that's, wow. that's a personal thing. Well, thank you for sharing it. That's amazing. Go. Seascape. Cool sand slips between my toes, wave sounds surging in my ears, a sudden swirl swishing round my ankles. I move to hard-packed sand, eyes searching for pearl-smooth shell, Crabs scuttle into bolt holes, sideways, like nervous girls arriving at the dance. <laughs> Eyes lift, scan the long, smooth stretch of beach. And you are there. You're always there. You're the master who controls the waves. You're the architect, designer of the ocean's edge, the beach, the cliffs, the scrubland, plain and hill. Sometimes, entranced by captivating detail, I shrink into that tiny world, exploring with delight each grain of sand, while overhead the blue sky arcs, birds wheel, and you look on. Wow. Yeah, that's just, that's fantastic. That's such a talent you have. I'm just so impressed that you can put those words together that way. I just... It's, it's gorgeous. Did, did anybody ever ask you to, like, write poems for their wedding or...? Oh, um, I had a friend, a Christian friend, who taught art to primary school in yeah. Christian schools. Oh, right. And she used to use my children's poems to read to the children and then get them to write what they saw in their minds oh, from my poems. Oh, good idea. And she every so often would say, do you have a poem about such and such? Ah, and I'd right. say, um, no, but I can write you one if you like. <laughs> so I'd write her a poem. About that. Yeah. And she used those for many, many years. Wow. And I found out recently that um, she must have left the book behind because the, pre the next teacher was also using them. Oh, so. great. Oh, that isn't, isn't that really good for you in terms mm. of you look at life and you say, wow, you know, this gift that God has given me, I'm able to use for others, that others can benefit, like kids growing up and then their kids and then their kids who've been brought up with this amazing poetry that you've written. I mean, that would just be an awesome gift to leave. It is. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Um, also, the book that I put out, um, I believe the poem, poetry I've given is God's gift and I believe he wants me to share it. Yes, yes. Um, that's, uh, that's why I sort of... No, that's really good because I was talking to Faye earlier before we actually came on air and she was saying that she um, she doesn't care about making money from the book. It's a really is 
because God has given her that mm. gift, she wants to share it with others, and I and I, I really admire that. That's that's really really cool. Uh, so we're going to take another short break, and then we're going to be back, and we're going to talk about the book itself and um, how people get hold of the book, but also get Faye to talk about things that are important to her, the messages she may want to give to people listening today. You're listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Delving with Des, and as I said before, we've got Faye Owen with us. We're in Lorton. And the other side of Faye that she hasn't mentioned so far is that she's also not only a, a, a writer, an author of poetry, but also she's a musician. And she plays the violin. Violin? The violin. The violin. Amazing instrument. It can be really squeaky if you're not <laughs> good. And I'm sure when Bay plays it, it's much more melodic and, and musical. So tell us how you get into playing the violin. Well, I began when I was 11. Right. My mother had both my older sisters taught the piano. Um, I learnt the piano for three weeks from a teacher who wanted to hit the piano next to me and frightened me to death. Oh, so yes. Mum took me away from her and said, would you like to learn a different instrument wow. with a different teacher? And I said, oh, yes. She said, what? And I said, cello or harp? So ah. she went away and priced them. Oh. <laughs> and came back and said, how about the violin? Because <laughs> a harp would be very expensive. Oh, very. And, and yeah. cello is pretty... Yeah. Yes, the harp was extremely expensive. But I'm very glad she did because yeah. it's my instrument. I feel like a violin. I've actually written a poem that, that sort of refers to me, myself as a violin. Oh, wow. So what is it special about a violin that, that really appeals to you? I think you can put your soul into it. Uh, um, okay. You have to make your own notes, of course. It's not like the piano. And the quality of sound uh, you get yeah. um, depends on, well, your skill. On what you do, really. On what you do, yes. Yeah, it's not like beating a drum. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I admire the violin from, uh, because there's no... Mm. And the guitar, for example, you've got frets you can use. And, and it's, it's predictable in that sense. Although some people play, play it amazingly. Um, I actually, many years ago, I was a director of a company and we had an event and we had Tommy Emmanuel come uh, along yes. uh, to play the guitar. And he's a Christian guy, uh, uh, but he was just like breathtaking. He's phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you think there's about like four or five guitars playing yes. and there's only the one. So in terms of violin, and that's what I was saying about the violin, sorry, is... You know, the frets, you have to know exactly where to put your finger and how to put your finger mm. on those strings yes. to make the sound. It's called muscle memory, which you develop over a long time. Ah, okay. If you bring your finger down onto a violin string with perhaps, let, let's just imagine that the finger's vertical. Yes. It's in tune. You move it the slightest fraction off vertical and it's not in tune. That's how critical it is. Oh, really? I didn't. Yeah. I never knew that. Most people don't. Wow, so you must have it actually precisely vertical on the string. Well, it's, it's, it, no, it's just a matter of putting it in the right spot. Yes. I'm, I'm yes. saying, you know, there's only but that right spot vertically. <coughs> well, no. Otherwise it will be the same. No, no, not, not quite vertically. It's just that if you move it that tiny fraction, as the difference between vertical and just off. Oh, right, okay. right That's, that's okay. all you've got to move it. Just, wow. It isn't quite vertical. <laughs> so how, how long did it take you to learn that uh, and master that instrument that way? Well, I learnt for five years, yeah, and then um, I was doing the, eight, the leaving certificate and trying to do seventh grade at the same time, and I thought, yeah. whoops, this is not working, <laughs> so I stopped learning. 
Um, after I left school, I joined a local orchestra for two or three years. Oh, cool. Just just local. Yeah. We weren't all that good. Um, <laughs> and it's better than I did. <laughs> and then gradually, then I got married, and gradually over the years, with children and working and yeah, yeah. looking after a house and a husband, um, I played less and less. For about 20 or 25 years, I would pick it up two or three times a year and think, oh, oh. that sounds terrible, <laughs> uh, and be very unhappy with it. And we moved up here in 1998. Right. And when we moved up here, I said, I'm going to get back to playing no matter what. Good for you. And it was the hardest thing I have ever done. Yeah. Because it's imagine. such a difficult skill. It's so they say it's the hardest instrument. So what made it so difficult? Just the accuracy that you have to... Well, most people can play a violin reasonably easily, just, just play it. Yeah. But to get it to sound beautiful is a totally different thing. Uh, okay, so explain that. What what makes a difference? Well, the vibrato for a start. Of course. The pressure on the bow. Ah. The way you hold the bow, your intonation, which is being exactly you know yeah. in tune. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things go into it. Yeah, yeah. You heard Emmanuel even once said that if he stopped playing for one day, he could tell the difference. If wow. he stopped playing for two, his musical friends could tell the difference. And if he stopped for a week, everyone could tell the difference. <laughs> and I know what he means. Because but, but that puts a huge amount of pressure on does. you. And, and on one hand, it mm. would encourage you to keep going with it. Mm. But on the other hand, you say, I'm never going to get this right. I'm going to give up. Yes, well... But you it, haven't it, given up, which is No, great. I haven't. Uh, it, it's discouraging when you haven't practised much. Yeah, and you yeah, think, yeah. oh, it's slipped a lot. And, you know, yeah. Am I ever going to get back to it? Um, I felt like that about a week ago, actually, and then I practised a reasonable amount for three afternoons. Right. And it came up not quite to what it was, but definitely to yeah. a, a much more... Pl- you know. So how do you decide mm. what you're happy with playing the violin? How, where do you get to? Because none of us are perfect. No matter what we do, we'll never be perfect, whether it be the violin or whatever it is. I'm certainly not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously there's a point where you're satisfied with where, you're, you're, where you've got to. How do you decide what that point is? I think, for me, it's when it sounds really beautiful. Right, right. Almost to the point where it makes you want to cry. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Because violin played badly is shocking. <laughs> violin played beautifully is amazing. When I first was, was learning, my middle sister, <coughs> as a joke, I hope, used to call it the vile din. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. my older sister says that I always played it quite nicely. So, well, I mean, there's so many people who'd be listening today who, you know, have never played an instrument or who have tried and not been successful. What advice would you give to somebody who's been picking up an instrument and trying to learn to play, whether it be learning to play in church or playing a group or whatever it happens to be? What advice would you give them? Well, firstly, I know a lot of people have been turned off music by being um, their parents insisting on them learning an instrument that wasn't their instrument. Yeah. And that's a very important thing. Right. I, I believe the violin is my instrument. Yeah. I've been told a couple of times by good violinists that I'm a natural violinist. Wow. Um, I don't mean I'm good. I just no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> just, just that um, I think so. That that's the start. And the ma- this thing I think is most important is you have to love it. Yes. Because if have you to don't, want to do it. if you don't love it, you won't do it, and yeah. there's no point in doing it if you no, don't no, love no, it. That's right. And you never. 
get to the point where you try to perfect it if you don't have the passion for it. Yes, and yeah. even Yehudi Menuhin again said that all his life he was learning. Yes. Isn't that so true of most things in life? Yeah. You know, we're always, we should always be open to learning new things. Like, for example, there's me doing this radio show. If somebody had said to me 10 years ago that you'd be doing a radio show in Port Macquarie, I would have said, no way. Right? <laughs> I know how to turn on a radio, but I have no <laughs> idea how to, how to produce a show. And so, I mean, it's the same with a musical instrument, isn't it? Mm. Wow, that's amazing. So, Faye, when you've led such an interesting life, you've had a you know, boy and a girl, You've uh, had faith all during that time. You've still got a strong faith, and you were telling me about the church you go to. Uh, so with your wealth of experience in life, give people a couple of pointers or a couple of ideas about how they could do life better or uh, anything you want to say, basically, to help people who are listening to the show who maybe need, to be, need a, a bit of encouragement. Well, that's not an easy question, but um, I've always thought of myself as a glass-half-full person, not yeah. a glass-half-empty right. person. That's good. That's good. And when I look around me at God's amazing world, I just feel so blessed. Yeah. And, okay, things are not always easy. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're, they're often very difficult, and Christ tells us that yes. as a Christian, life will be difficult. Yes. He doesn't give us roses. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, but... If we have a grateful heart, yeah. if we're prepared to, when things are really difficult, say, well, Lord, I can't do this, it's in your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important. Um, and to mean it. Don't, yeah. pick, don't pick the problem up again, which we all do, I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just leave it in his yeah. hands and trust him. And that's him. the hard part, isn't it? That's it's having that faith yes. and trusting that God will actually deal with that issue on your behalf. Yes. Yeah. And yet he's promised that he'll never leave us or forsake yes, us. Yeah. And that, um, you know, I, I was reading a psalm this morning and it was one of David's. And David was praising the Lord, you know, beautifully, but it was obvious that he was being pursued by yeah. people who were wanting to take his life. Yes. But here he was saying, you know, you're amazing, wonderful God and you're always with me and you'll never let me down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we can just... I mean, that's about perspective, isn't it? It is perspective. Yeah. And also, I mean, just briefly, uh, being the, the, the violin that you've played, and not all your poems as well, but the violin requires dedication and commitment uh, ongoing every day. It's very similar to faith. Yes. Uh, in that regard. So could you talk briefly about that and your faith and how you've circum gone through those circumstances? Well... I am far from perfect. I, there are days when I don't have spend much time with the Lord at all. Mm. Um, in fact, we've got a, one of my other poems talks about the fact that I get up to do my morning devotions and something distracts yeah. me. And, but then it goes on to say, but when I walk outside and look at God's wonderful world, I just praise him again and I, and I can lift my heart and sing. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's really good. We've been talking with uh, Faye Owen and we really appreciate your time, Faye. Thank you for sharing your life with us and talking about the things that are important to you. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Dads. I really appreciated your talking with you. Yeah, that's good. You have been listening to the podcast of Delving with Des.